countdown for blastoff. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. And welcome to another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I am your co-host with the most, Robert. And with me intermittently on this podcast is my lovely wife, Gina. Say hi, Gina. Hi, Gina. Jonathan, our normal host, is out on assignment this week. And Gina is filling in. Hi, everybody. Yay. I'm like internet famous. Let's kick this show off Jonathan style with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. Thank you, patrons. You guys help us keep the lights on and the servers humming. And uh, without you guys, none of this would be possible. Speaking of which, uh, unfortunately, even though Gina did watch it with me, uh, we are going to postpone part three of our No Time to Bond because Jonathan has forbade us to speak about it because he really desperately wants to talk about Goldfinger, I guess. Yeah, just as well, because otherwise I'm just, you know. Yeah, you were hating on that movie a little bit. You were hating on that movie. Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, so we're going to push No Time to Bond Part 3 and Part 4 to Episode 80. You're going to get a twofer next time. And last but not least, Gina, I believe today is a national day. Oh, yes. It's the National Plan a Vacation Day. Uh, Last year, 768 million vacation days were not used. So take a rest. It's good for you. See a national park, have a staycation, whatever. You know, which is kind of a coincidence because we've been trying to plan a vacation. Yes. Yes, we have. I mentioned that in the last episode that we've been we've been doing that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. So far, the only thing we've sort of got on the works is a plan to go see my siblings. Yes. Let's, let's hope that works out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll see how the boys react to a long car ride. It will either go... It, we've had some test drives because we went up and visited Grandma and Grandpa. That was a pretty long gra- car ride. So that was pretty good. It was pretty good. Yeah, so far, so good. Uh, actually, the biggest test was whether or not they were willing to pee in a public restroom. Yes. And I think it... They they crossed that hurdle. So proud. So proud. This is Parenting 101, talking about your kids' bathroom habits. Yes. All right. (laughs) I'll apologize in advance. You know, that's our life. Let's just face it that, you know, our every waking moment is just tied to the urinary and fecal matter coming out of two small children. (laughs) (sighs) You paint such a lovely image. And on that note, that takes us to our off the shelf segment. This is our segment where we talk about all those things that we have on our shelves that we have taken off and put into our hearts. Maybe with some snark. There's some snark usually. I can't help it. I'm just, I'm made up of snark, like 98% snark, 2% water. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, Gina, I think I'd like to shake things up and start off with uh, the video games. Have you, uh, have you played any video games of late? No. (laughs) Because, you know, let's face it, I the only video game that I have regular access to is my iPad, and I have not been using my iPad for video that games. That is a lie, although we haven't been playing it much lately, because you and I both bought Civilization VI, although we have not played oh, it right. probably in a couple of weeks. Together. Oh, yeah, no, I haven't been playing it. I, I want to, but I know me, like, I know I'm if I play Civ, I'm going to want to devote, like, hours to it, and we just haven't had like a, a really big chunk of time 
where yeah, I feel yeah. like I can play it without, you know, also ignoring adulting stuff. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I've been I've been playing it here and there when the children have commandeered the TV. We we were playing a game together and then we stopped because like we had just gotten the game and we were like like playing a, a co-op game was hard because we were trying to figure yeah. out the game at the same time. I'm kind of at a spot where I think I could do it now, but I, I don't know about you. You haven't played it in like two weeks. Yeah, I haven't played it in a while. I'm still trying to figure out. Well, because I've only p- technically played one Civ and the only Civ I've played is Korea because, you know, I kind of have to. And I'm just sort of kind of getting used to it. And I think uh, I'm not taking advantage of the Civ's advantages and like i'm not using it correctly or i'm not playing it correctly yeah say, yeah so. that happens too and some civs don't have great things for what you end up kind of falling into i i had that trap twice so well h- how are you enjoying it so far like a- as a civ game where where's it rank i mean we've only played the civ 5 previous to this but i'm enjoying it it's uh harder than civ 5 because of all the districts but i mean on the other hand it it means that you're not in a race to, you know, build everything and build wonders because you have to kind of, you know, like realistically, uh, you're limited by the amount of space you have, like land you have to build, you know, these wonders and districts. And so I, I have to think strategically, I know, uh, which is the part that I, I don't haven't done so because I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but at least I know that, you know, just because I'm not, you know, in a race to build wonders, it doesn't mean that some other Civ is just building wonder after wonder. I mean, it happens, especially in that game where you're just not playing the correct Civ for what you're trying to do. So it's no big deal. That's part of the learning process. Besides, you're playing I, that game. The games we both started when we were decided to play learning games separately are on such a low difficulty level. Like, it'll be hard to lose anyway, regardless. <laughs> That's definitely true because I don't, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, but so far no other Civ has come hassling me, even though they are like within a stone's throw away. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, I, of course, have been playing video games. I finished up Castlevania Symphony of the Night and it was, it was, it was a fun bit of nostalgia, but the, uh, the lack of the awesomely bad lines from the original was kind of upsetting. I didn't like that. They shouldn't have changed it, man. They should have just embraced the cheese. You know? Yeah, yeah. I remember when you were showing me that and I was thinking like, well, how cheesy could they be? And then you got <laughs> show me YouTube videos. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so cheesy, it's so but it's bad. so fun. Yeah. <laughs> and uh you have been uh party to this a lot. I'm I'm still playing Dragon Quest Builders. I got I, I got a bug because uh the castle that you guys got in the D D game, I've decided I want to see it in three dimensions, so I built it. And you have been there for most of that. And I am, I've been like trying to like ask you is like, is this a good idea? Is it worth it? And you're, you're kind of like, nah. And I'm like, oh, but it's fun. Well, I'm not saying that it doesn't have its purpose. Like, I don't know if, you know, having it is gonna affect our decisions or anything like that, but it is nice to see. And, you know, especially it's nice to have, you know, when you take your screenshots and post it to Facebook, it's like, oh, hey, there's our keep. Yay. <laughs> it's kind of nice. And, uh, and we got the Apple Arcade recently, and I have been playing a game called Grindstone, which I am told is a lot like Candy Crush, but I have not fallen down that uh, that well of sorrow and awfulness uh, that I hear the Candy Crush is, the, the straight addiction into your candy brain. 
uh, grindstone is is you play a, a Viking or something. Jonathan would love this. I'll have to talk about this with him. But yeah, you play like a Viking and you're just slaying monsters of different colors, you know, in kind of Candy Crush ways. But it's uh, it's fun. It's a puzzler. I've been enjoying it. You should try it. You like puzzlers. Yeah, no, I, I like those kinds of games. I mean, it's just, you know, all the Candy Crush clones essentially are just, you know. But candy this crush. one isn't freemium, which is nice. You well, that is actually very nice. I, I like the non-freemium aspect of it. So, yeah. I I mean, I will definitely, I've been meaning to, to download something from the Apple Arcade and, and try it out. I mean, there's so many games. I'm like, I, I don't know how they came up with so many games. Yeah, well. I think I think you like Rainstone. It's very uh yeah, it's a puzzler. It's a puzzler. Yeah, they have some puzzle stuff. So, I mean, I, I like puzzle games. So, I'm going to definitely try those out. Definitely puzzle games are a lot better for me to play than the twitchy stuff. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all our video games. Dealer's choice. What would you like to move on to? I guess I'm the dealer. Ladies' choice. What would you like to move on to? Let's see. How about we can talk about reading? Reading it is. Uh, you have read more than I, so begin. Well, no, I read the book that you first read, which is Circe. Right, right, but I read. Right. I talked about that last week, so oh, this is that's new right, for that's you. That's right, that's right, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I enjoyed the book a lot, um, ma- mainly because um, I read the Odyssey, like, back in high school. And it's really cool kind of reading it from this point of view because a lot of the stories are stuff I, I kind of vaguely remember from just, you know, reading various myths and watching terrible movies. And uh, well, actually, they're not terrible movies. Well, they're, they're, they're so bad they're good. Some some of them fall into that. Uh, well, I mean, the, the classics, you know, the Harryhausen stuff. I, th- I think that counts. They're, 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 kind of, they're, they're awesome, but they're kind of awesome in a cheesy way. Yeah, I remember this one where Odysseus makes wine by stomping on grapes. I'm like, that's that's not how you make wine. <laughs> I mean, that's the first. You're essentially feeding this guy grape juice, but all right, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, but yeah, it was really cool, like seeing it from like the way she wrote it uh, is, is definitely a you know not like a what you could call a militant feminist way, but it is really giving the female characters something more than just you know uh, something for Odysseus to to win or use or whatever defeat they that they are their own um characters their own people yeah I like because I mean let's be fair in a lot of the classic stuff Cersei is just a character who is there to turn Odysseus's men into pigs and then he kind of like talks her out of it yeah it was kind of nice seeing the why she decided to go there you know yeah, it was pretty cool, like, making her three-dimensional in that, you know, w- why would she just go around turning a bunch of men into pigs? And, you know, the reason they gave in the book is is pretty good, pretty horrific, but... Yeah, like, the way Odysse- Odysseus talks her out of it also was pretty decent, you know, like... Uh, yeah. Because, yeah, he just wasn't a jerk. <laughs> and yeah what i also like about it is they it, the book also kind of humanizes odysseus because in the book he's a little too perfect mm. um which if you you know if you think about it like from our modern standpoint it's like he is far from perfect like he he's away from his wife for 20 years like it, 
he's been part of these wars. And as he's coming back, you know, he's kind of sleeping around and getting treasure. And you, you kind of have to wonder, like, from our modern point uh, viewpoint, what kind of person is that? Back then, in the during the classical era, those that was the the traits of heroes. It's only now with our modern viewpoint on you know how men behave that you think like you know that that guy is kind of not right in the head, <laughs> and they they kind of address that. Yeah, it was an interesting book. I I highly recommend it to Jonathan. I was trying to talk him into reading it uh, to palate cleanse between his two sci-fi series. So I think you got him convinced. It's Jonathan. You should do it. It's a really good book. And I'm actually like, you know, when HBO Max comes out, I don't even know what's going to happen with HBO Max when that show is going to come out. But I, I'd be sub- subscribed for however long to just watch that show. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of things that we're going to subscribe to in a couple of days, Picard. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I am very excited. I am. I, I, I'm trying to keep myself even keeled about it. That's true. Uh, I've been I've been burned by New Trek before. Although yeah. I, I, Discovery second season kind of brought it back around. It, I, I like second season quite a bit compared to the first. So here's yeah. hoping. Here's hoping. I mean, we'll see. CBS and Sci-Fi have been kind of. I mean, they did an okay job. Yeah, with Discovery second season. So and Twilight knows? Zone was it was. I don't think there were any standout awesome ones, but there was more good than bad in the the new season of the Twilight Zone in general. At least that was my feeling. Yeah, on it. yeah. Maybe, and also maybe we can hope that since Picard is a character that uh, Patrick Stewart knows so well, he would put a kibosh on anything that's like terrible. Yeah, well, he's an executive producer on it, and I know they've they've said pretty much like don't expect to have him go into space like right away. Like they they show they they said. Uh, I forget what Alec Kurtzman said. It was something like Discovery is their bullet, which I guess they mean, you know, their fast show. And Picard is their sort of slow character drama where they're going to build up to things, you know, and take their time. So here's hoping. I don't know. Discovery is kind of slow. What? <laughs> I mean, it's 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 still fast paced adventure. It's just, you know, I thought that the they could have, you know, they, they, they took their time to kind of get to the point of the show, but maybe that's just because it's, that was the first season where yeah, I'm kind of, it was trying to figure I'm, itself I'm out. pretending the first season didn't happen. I'm talking exclusively about season two. Season two seems to be uh, where they figured out what they need to do. Well, okay. Okay. I don't know. Here's hoping. <laughs> anyway, speak, speaking of sci-fi and all that, sorry, sorry to get off of the reading topic. I finished reading, I got for my birthday and finished reading the alien RPG and uh, I was going to talk about it with you and bore your ear off more than I already have about it. But I think you have won out because Jonathan, I think, wants to do that as a deep dive for 80. If any of you guys, uh, our dear listeners, want to prepare for that, I guess go watch all the Aliens movies. Uh, they only need to watch Alien 1, 2, and 3 because those are the only things that have... Because Alien Resurrection is in the future that hasn't happened yet in, the, in that RPG. What about like Prometheus? Oh, the Prometheus movies happened. So yeah, yeah, Prometheus one and two, and then the Alien trilogy, they all happened. The RPG picks up like a couple of years after Alien three. That's that's where they are in that timeline, I guess. So folks, yeah, go and prepare, watch those movies. I guess. Wait, wait, wait! I listened to the show, and Gina, 
we should watch all five of the Aliens movies before next oh, time. Oh, God. Did you see what you just signed yourself up to? No, no, no. We're no. trying to engage our audience here like like a good uh, host, and I appreciate uh, that, but you know what? 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 The trap circled round on you. Uh, no, no hablo español. I mean, no hablo inglés. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Who are you? Where am I? What's going on? <laughs> All right, and then uh, I, I went to our lovely library, which, by the way, uh, I screwed up. It is not the Portland library system, dear listeners. It is the Washington County Library Cooperative. Uh, I apologize to our lovely library for that one uh, last time. Oh, yeah, I was supposed to. that was supposed to be the, in the Department of Corrections. I forgot about that. But there you go, Department of Corrections, Washington Library Cooperative. Washington County Cooperative, Cooperative. or Library, Library Cooperative. Cooperative. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I got a bunch of comic books, and the, the one I was really interested in reading, you took away from me and read it first, which, uh, which uh, you know, dick move. No offense, but dick move. Well, it was interesting looking. It's Wonder <laughs> Woman, Earth One. So how'd you feel about that one? Because my general impression of all of the Earth One, because I, th- I think with Wonder Woman, I've read all of them now. Uh, I, none of them were like great, but they were all pretty solid. Some were more solid than others, <laughs> but, uh, how, how did you feel about Wonder Woman? Yeah, I, it was weird and I guess it was interesting, weird, but not like, a they did it better kind of weird. It's more of a, well, that's different kind of weird. <laughs> So I, I watched a documentary uh, about the guy who created it, it and his uh, he was in a uh, I don't know what you call those. He was in a polyamorous relationship with two women and and like the whole thing about Paradise Island and stuff was all like radical feminist uh, like f- philosophy from back in the 30s. And he like made it manifest. And then like that that whole weird undercurrent in Wonder Woman Earth One about uh, BDSM, that was straight in there too, because that's why Wonder Woman, uh, her weakness is getting tied up with her own rope. So she'd get tied up with rope a lot in the old comics like that. That's straight out of that too. Yeah, no joke. No joke. Yeah. If you want to, if you, uh, uh, what's his face? It's not Aomir slash bone slash that guy. It's the guy who's like, looks a lot like him, but played Dracula. Um, Luke, Luke Evans. What's that dude's name? I, I I don't know. Okay, so yeah, a couple of years ago, his, his name's Luke Evans. I just I just looked this up. What what what's the movie called? Uh, he oh yeah, he was Bard in uh, the Battle of the Five Armies of, of the Hobbit. Anyway, oh, he okay. he did a movie called Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman, which is about the creation of Wonder Woman, and he did it as a psychologist. But his wife was a psychologist, and they had a girlfriend too, and. Oh, yeah, I know about that that story. Yeah, yeah. Um, Imaginary Worlds did a really good episode on it, and there was a documentary I watched on it, too, because a lot of that all sort of came out at the same time. But, yeah. They even interviewed uh, the lady or somebody who wrote the book about them um, on Fresh Air. So, I mean, it's pretty mainstream, that story now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, no, no. There's this weird, like, feminist utopia BDSM lesbian subtext that's like deliberately written into wonder woman uh from back in the 30s and um yeah like uh earth one wonder woman did not shy away from it like they took that and dialed that to like 11 (laughs) like that was not subtext that was like that was like straight up like yes (laughs) that that explains a lot yeah Yeah. it's very yeah bdsm whatnot It but I, it was interesting, topic. though. Because, yeah, it, it was interesting. It was uh, it was still enjoyable. Um, like, I couldn't get a sense of the personality of Di- Diana. She was just... 
Yeah, it was this weird, like, kind of Game of Thrones-esque political manipulation on her part was the whole plot. And yeah, and they kind of, yeah. like, failed at the... I, I mean, maybe they were going to go into it more. Because, um, like, one of the things I always like about Diana is she's, like, she's like a raging badass, but she's very kind. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah. And and I didn't get the, the... Like, they said she was kind at a couple points in the comic, but that was people describing her. You didn't ever really see her be super-duper kind. I mean, you no, kind of did. She was more, yeah, she was more kind of like, you know, I'm taking charge because I'm the badass here. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think that's the only one, unfortunately. I think Earth One was kind of a failed experiment, which which I see because Superman and Wonder Woman were pretty good. Um, the Batman one never quite lived up to some of the things it was flirting with. And uh, the Teen Titans was just kind of eh. It reminded me a lot of Gen 13. They kind of stole that story of, you know, this is a group of teenagers whose parents like, did science on them for reasons, I guess. I don't know. It was kind of weird. Did, wasn't uh, Earth One supposed to be a video game? No, no, no. Earth One was just this. It, it was kind of DC's answer to the Ultimates uh, line. Oh. And, oh. And, but oh. they, you know, being DC, because sometimes Marvel and DC, when they fight, they, you know, DC's like, well, Marvel's doing this thing, so we're going to do something different and stupid because. And yeah, this was one of their, their we're going to do this differently, even though it's bad. Because, and yeah, it just never quite panned out. It was above average. It was bordering on being really interesting. It just never quite got over that hump. And I, I kind of feel Wonder Woman was the same way. It was just, it was trying to reach for something it wasn't quite getting. That was my feeling yeah. about it. Yeah, I, I, I forgot to read Superman when you, while you had it checked out. Yeah, you should. I, I, well, we can get it again. Ain't no thing. It's at the library. All right, so I think that finishes up reading. Uh, tell you what, since our usually we say board games for last because that's Jonathan's laundry list of evil, but he is not here today to give us a laundry list of evil. Our laundry list of evil appears to be TV, so let us talk about our little role playing game that we've been playing. Oh, yeah. So we just finished up last week the fourth episode session, whatever you want to call it, of our. D&D games set in the lovely, lovely land of, uh, how do you pronounce it? Well, I was saying it, uh, Maraviosa, but you kept on saying Maravosia, and since you're the GM, I think everybody else is convinced that the land is called Maravosia. Well. But it is, per- but I wrote it as Maraviosa. Maraviosa. Well. Uh, no, 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 Maraviosa. <laughs> anyway, oh, Maravosia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh. How how was it? How was it? You were there, so so you can talk about it. Yeah, no, it was cool. It's it's funny just how um, this game has is less hack and slash and more feudal economics one on one. So so what what happened at the uh, at the end of last episode? So uh, last time that we were here, I, I was saying that we were doing sort of the the Batman um, year one thing of like going through Gotham City and looking at all the scum. So you know, I got we we had that road trip through half the country, and then so that was where we left off. So last episode, you guys uh, got to the castle and you were clearing it out and what happened in the castle cuz you guys were almost done clearing it out when we had to stop uh, yeah we cleared out the red, red caps and then came up ca- across a a ghost i guess was he was a guard or a faithful he he was the head of a, an ancient knightly order that was entombed in the dungeons of the castle yeah and uh, we thought it would be not not bad entombed he he died of natural causes and they put him in there as honor mm. stuff yeah and we thought it would be some sort of big fight but 
the the Duke Duke and Duquesa they decided to to talk their way through the encounter and it worked. Yeah. And we got some cool stuff, some magic items that like just seemed kind of random. And so I was like thinking like what are these what do the properties of these random items have to do with the story? You know, is the fact that this this spear that, you know, if you drop it, it points north. Is that going to play into this, into the adventure later? And then you told me you rolled in a random magic item table. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to do different things that I usually do because I get kind of caught up in the narrative and making everything just so. And, uh, D&D players like getting a castle and building a stronghold and all that. That's very like old school and second edition. So I decided I'm like, man, I, I'm just going to roll on tables now. And I don't even <laughs> roll on tables myself. I actually found a, a great little website called donjohn.com that will roll on tables for you. And so oh my God. <laughs> I've, I've been doing that. Like when I rolled up that spear, it just said spear plus one returning. Like I, all that other story nonsense is, is stuff I added in. But yeah, that's kind of part of the the fun is I got to try to like at least attempt in some cases to sort of weave the random treasure into whatever it is we are doing. But yes. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. I mean, when you told me or when you described the armor that we got and, you know, it sounded like it was part of like the old noble family treasure. And then, you know, if you wield it, it's sort of a symbol of something. I'm like, oh, wow, you worked this all out to like include it to, to, you know, give us this like heritage. And it's like, no, it's just random. random That wasn't random. So, okay. So the dungeon of the castle that you guys are in is from the adventure from strongholds and followers, because the adventure plays out differently, but you get to a castle and the castle has a dungeon that has hobgoblins or goblin orcs in it. It has orcs in it. I wanted to have a dungeon underneath the castle. I thought it would be cool that if you guys had kind of like a small castle, but it had like a large dungeon because the dungeon didn't get destroyed. Like the stuff under the castle never got destroyed. It was just the stuff on the surface. And I'm like, and I was stressing and I'm like, why don't I just steal this dungeon map from here? (laughs) And I was like, Oh, Hey, that's, that's kind of a smart idea. So like all of those encounters, I I reskin them, but they're, they're just the encounters straight from the adventure. So, but I thought that was fun because, you know, I got to like weave it in because the, uh, uh, so you got a, a, a breastplate called, uh, I forget what I called it, but that that's from the adventure. And then you got the sword grace and in the adventure, those are actually dragonborn that are down there. And there's like a whole reason for it as part of the adventure, but yeah, they're the blue dragon flight knights or something like that. But I reskinned it to be the, the Knights of Badalado, which is your, uh, which is your duchy. Okay. Well, that's smart. And it's cool. Cause it makes, you know, it, 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 it makes it all part of the, the history it makes us feel like we're part of it. Yeah, yeah. And well, and since the game was about history, like that encounter seemed really good to throw in. And when you do that adventure, spoiler alert for the Siege of Castle Rend, uh, when you do that adventure normally, you don't have a connection to those knights. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things you guys used. Like uh, the Duke presented himself as like, I am Duke so-and-so of House Blah. And that guy like recognized them, you know, because he was a ghost of a guy from back in the day. And that worked. That that worked fine, you know? So yeah. Yeah. That was cool. Like, I, I I don't know if, like, what Wes knew that would happen when he, you know, just launched into that thing, but it it was, it worked. I, I assumed that you guys would do it. Uh, I was, okay, so, like, one of the hard things about running a D&D game where you guys are nobles is, like, nobility comes with, like, a certain, like, thought that you will have lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and as I, I believe the phrase that you use, which I've been copying a lot, is you guys are wealthy in title, but not in coin. I think that is how you put it, right? 
Uh, I don't know if I put it that way, but, you know, I did describe that those kinds of nobles are plentiful in those, you know, BBC broadcast stuff. There you go. Well, I like that phrase. But like nobility also comes with like family history. And so like any any time I can like throw something in there where your guys is like history works for you because, you know, you're important, your nobility, like nobility has like murals and paintings and stuff. I, I figure that's that's a good thing to sort of differentiate yourself from like a, a gang of murder hobos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's good. That's very smart. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's been it's been working out interesting. So. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys and and you guys found the secret hidden vault that had a big old pile of money in it, and uh, you're repairing the castle, which is the castle I built in Dragon Quest Builders Two with the the wooden palisade or wall or whatever. And and you know your castle's a little rough around the edges because you don't have like a stone wall. I was reading about those wooden walls; they only last like five six years, give or take, uh, depending on how you mm-hmm. upkeep them. But you know, hopefully, you know you'll get the money to upgrade that to stone at some point. And uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some baby steps. <laughs> and and I got to decorate my room in Dragon Quest Builders. Because, you know, I will say, I will say, I was kind of rolling my eyes as you were recreating everything. Because I'm like, oh, geez. And then you said, how do you want your room decorated? I'm like, oh, well, well. <laughs> if I'm going to decorate my room, I want to make sure I have, you know, the kind of bed I like. Desk. Stuff on the desk. Yeah, yeah, you have oh. a princess bed and a red rose on your desk with a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 with like a with like a papers and an inkwell and a book. Yeah, with yeah, because ledgers, you know, I'm try- my character's trying to run a business. And then all all this all the stuff you you wanted to have um, kind of put you really close to a, a bedroom type in that the neat and sweet bedroom. So I'm like, hey, if we put in a little privacy screen, it'll upgrade your room to a, a different room type in the game. Huh? Yeah, who huh? should have a privacy <laughs> screen? Yeah. <laughs> so it's perfect. Yeah, it was a good time. <laughs> oh gosh, I I guess we're sad. Are we sad? <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not wrong. Everyone else is. We're just enthusiastic. Yeah. All right. So you have anything else about about uh, our our little nobility game? I'm looking forward to the next session. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, so we have moved into sort of the sandbox mode where I gave them a choice of two things to tackle. Uh, they heard rumors of a sinkhole full of emeralds to get more money to rebuild the castle or the townsfolk have reported that they are cursed because no people or animals in the town have had babies for nine months at this point. And uh, yeah, you guys decide to tackle uh, the curse, which uh, is unfortunate because <laughs> I didn't have anything worked out for that besides that it existed. Like I was like, a curse would be cool. And that was all I had. So I've, I've been having to make that up on the, not on the fly, but <laughs> I, I've, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think, I, I think, I, I think I broke the story today. I was, uh, while I was uh, making dinner, I was kind of like having making dinner shower thoughts. I don't know what you'd call it. Stove thoughts. Stove thoughts. <laughs> while I was yeah. making beans. Um, yeah. I, uh, I think I broke the story. So, yeah, yeah, because I, I wanted to I wanted to use some of the the wonderful world building that you and I did, but we I think we'll talk about this later. Because uh, yes, yes, we've rounded the corner in our once again to new game master month, and last year we talked about running your first game, and this year you and I are going to talk about homebrewing because we did some snazzy homebrewing, but that will come later. And via the power mm-hmm. of editing, it might even come tomorrow, but in just a few minutes for you people. So yeah, weirdness. It's coming through the yeah, through time and space. Woo 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 woo. 
hey, that segues perfectly to movies and TV because we have been watching Doctor Who. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and we're actually behind a couple episodes. Yeah, yeah, we are. Well, No spoilers. <laughs> well, it's just everybody in the house likes to watch it and just lining everybody up in the house to watch it at the same time is kind of rough. <laughs> and by everybody, you mean Eowyn. Yeah. Well, I think I think what we should do is we should just maybe because Doctor Who's rarely scary enough that I think the boys will get really phased by it. So maybe we should just start their indoctrination early. Maybe we should do that next weekend, like just have a marathon on Sunday of just all of the Doctor Who. <laughs> that could work. And yeah, and Jody Whitaker is a good doctor to get them you know started It'd be funny if they start like pronouncing words weirdly because of her accent <laughs> yeah I-, I love her accent by the way i mean it's it's one of those where you you don't realize that um i mean you know that there are funny accents in the uk but you don't you rarely hear them because they don't ever put them on tv and then and then they put it on tv it's like oh wow I, I got to say, anytime the doctor opens her trap, that she does it about once every other episode, but she just sort of casually mentions that she used to be a man in some weird context. Uh, it, it cracks me up. I love it when she talks about how I used to be a man. And in the last episode that we watched, somebody said like, oh, yeah, I met the doctor once when she was a man. And, and one of the characters like, wait, she was serious about that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, yeah, it's like what she's been mentioning a lot. Did you, did you, what did you think that she meant? <laughs> I, I don't think Jonathan. I don't think I talked Jonathan to watching this, so I think this is going to be on you and me. I don't know why I decided I needed to do this. It was something I just always have wanted to do and just never got around to. I have never seen Gus Van Saint's 1998 revision redo of Psycho. And uh, our library had it because, of course, it did because the library is lovely. <laughs> so um, we watched that uh, pretty recently. Uh, yeah. What did you think? It made me realize that I haven't seen the original Psycho all the way through from beginning to end. <laughs> which is weird. Which is weird. That is literally one of my favorite movies. Like, I think I've seen like Aliens and and Back to the Future more, but that's definitely one of those movies I watch. I watched a lot when I was like in my my college days of being snooty film guy in college. Like my my DVD of that is well well loved. That's funny. It's funny that you know you never made me watch it or anything, but I guess you just sort of assumed I've watched it, and I've only seen it uh, when they were airing it on TV. That is like so. the story of your life. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, it's. I mean, pretty much, yeah, there's going to be a lot of movies that I've seen, but I'm going to say I've only seen it on TV. And apparently when they air it on TV, they cut out a lot of scenes that are like a little risque and whatnot. And yeah, there's a lot I'm missing out that I didn't know I missed out. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, we we talked a lot about Psycho 98. I... I've been watching a lot of what I call pointless pointless sequels lately. I think is our pointless remakes where it's like somebody in the studio has just got it in their head to like do it, you know, like Child's Play. Child's Play was a really good example of like a pointless remake. Like that movie didn't need to get remade. It, there was absolutely no reason to remake Child's Play, but somebody wanted to do it. And like, so the the people that got it, like tried to do something interesting with it and Unlike Psycho, I think Child's Play largely succeeded, but like, yeah, Gus Van Saint, the idea to like just slightly update the script and then just shoot it like almost shot for shot exactly the same with some people like really channeling the original version of the character 
uh, like um, uh, Julianne Moore really channeled it, and so did um, what's his face, Felicity Huffman's husband, whatever the pri- the, the private detective. Oh yeah 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 uh, blah, 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 blah. yeah what's yeah. his face <laughs> yeah what's his face um guy who's sleeping alone because his wife's in jail oh yeah we went there she wasn't in jail for long I, I think she's still there I digress that's a, William H Macy William H Macy yeah he was really channeling the original but then like um uh, uh Aragorn was in that movie and he he was all playing Texas guy and the original guy was not a Texas guy um, <laughs> and uh and Anne Heche really played it different because uh, I, I, I felt they really miscast uh, Norman Bates with Vincent D'Onofrio. Like, really miscast that. That's Vince Vaughn. Oh, that, that's right. Vince. Oh, sorry, I get my Vinces mixed up. Uh, Vince Vaughn. Like, he, they really miscast Norman Bates. Yeah, it, uh, he, was, he was not right for that role. <sighs> Unless they were going for the Norman Bates is creepy kind of role. Well, Norman Bates was creepy in the it, it was uh the, the guy originally played him because he was kind of a scrawny guy, you you didn't he wasn't physically threatening, so he it, it wasn't as scary even when he was acting a little weird because it's like, "Oh, that's so cute, the weird guy," you know? But like uh Vince Vaughn, especially like 1998, like buff Vince Vaughn, like fit, not like chubby he is now, but like, you know, I mean, he was, he was muscular. He's kind of an intimidating dude. And when he's acting weird, like it's scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And spoiler alert, in case you haven't seen this, you know, when they show him, you know, as the mother in black and white, Everything was fuzzy enough that you were like, who was that? Was that actually an old lady? Whereas when you see everything in color and he's so tall and like masculine and, and buff. it just, yeah. And buff, <laughs> you're like, that's, that's not, that's not an old lady. There's no way that's an old lady. And the hair looks fake. So there's something going on here. Like you're automatically know something's up. And Anne Heche played it correctly. Uh, in that movie where when Vincent or when Vince is inviting her in, in to have dinner with him, you know, she's doing that thing where she's trying to like politely refuse and he's like not paying attention. It's really creepy. Like, and and just the whole scene plays very differently and she played it the way, you know, based off of the way Vince Vaughn was acting, like the way that you would, but it was just, it was so the whole, he was just so much more sinister. Like you just knew something was up with him when you saw him. Whereas Norman, like, I mean, even knowing the twist, like he is the original uh, Anthony Perkins. Was it Anthony Perkins? I forget who did it originally, but he he just wasn't he wasn't just as threatening, you know, and, and it was easy to kind of just sort of dismiss him as not a threat, you know? Yeah, I think part of the issue is and I don't know if people were even talking about this back in 98. Women have had to deal with the. Uh, a, a man like offering something to you, like, ask, you know, saying, come have dinner. And it, he's just kind of creepy enough that you're not quite sure if you can refuse without him getting violent. And that's something that um, yeah. we've been talking a lot. Yeah. The women have been talking a lot kind of recently with the whole me Too everything saying like, you know, that, that that's the, the thing that women, you know, kind of have to balance because, yeah. Right, right, right. But but I, but again, that's like the problem with it because when he's doing it, it automatically puts you in like in a defensive mode with him, and and it kind of ruins the twist. Whereas the original guy, because he was so just sort of mousy and and thin and and unassuming, like it really 
worked well for that twist because when he turned out to, you know, be Norman Bates, like it, it was, it was like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then, you know, when uh, he gets relatively easily overpowered uh, at the end of the movie, like, like, and, and that's the thing too. It played differently when um, Aragorn was there and got hit in the head with a golf club. Like, like I'm like, he's dead. Like, dude, Vince Vaughn hits you in the head with a golf club. Like you're dead. Like that, that's a buff dude. But like, you know, when the original guy did it, it you could buy it that he, that wouldn't have killed him. Cause he's just not a big dude. You know, it just, it, it made the whole movie play yeah. very differently and, it, it, and to its detriment. Like, it, I mean, ultimately I think it was a failed experiment. I I'm, if they were going to remake that movie, I'm glad that's the way they did it. Cause at least somebody who obviously really liked it tried something, but it, yeah, it was just, it was weird. I mean, it's an interesting experiment. I, I guess as, as experiments go, that's pretty much the only way they could experiment with it without changing a lot of different things. Also, when Julianne Moore like did her updated line of instead of let me go get my purse, let me go get my Walkman while we go like Snoop. That was so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go Snoop. Let me get my Walkman. Let me go get 90s tech with my cassette uh, tape, with my mixtape. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's enter the not as well traveled section of the podcast uh, with movies. I've been noticing that you've been uh, rewatching bits of Outlander in prep for season four. Yee! I'm just getting so excited. Okay, next month, it's February sixteenth. Outlander, yay! Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, and season three is on Netflix, so you know I've been watching bits and pieces. Usually the parts of my favorite episodes like and let me fan girl off for a minute there okay okay um, I, 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 i'll set a timer it, it's just it just, you just tear up when it's it's free uh what's it called it's um it's fergus's wedding and you know it's he when it comes time for him to declare his name and you know what is his full name he doesn't have a last name to give to to his bride and you're just all feeling for him and jamie speaks up and just gives him his last name and it's like oh it, it just kind of gets you in the feels yeah you know what i you know what i love about you talking about outlander actually like the biggest thing what what <laughs> so, so we were we were talking about uh the D game after it was over we, we we forgot to go into the part where like i'm i'm kind of excited because like a lot of uh the first three sessions, like a lot of the people who were playing, I got the sense that they weren't terribly into it. And then like the fourth one, when they got the pile of money and they started building things and rolling on random tables, like all of a sudden, like things like clicked and they started talking about like, uh, um, it's not universal health care. It was like major versus it's, it, 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 it's magic care for all magic care for all. Yeah. 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 It's great. It's great. But like, so we were talking about, we were talking about that too. And, and you were all like, yeah, it's like Fraser's Ridge. <laughs> And it's just it. I, I what I loved about it was I loved that all of our our nonsense genre stuff that we all love in our own way. Like everything we do, just sort of like relates to it, you know. And and like you brought the Outlander into the D and D game, and I'm like, that's great. That makes my yeah, yeah. that makes my heart go happy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should definitely bring that up in the next session so that Claire can have an, an idea of what you know what's going on. <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. So you can yeah. Uh, you could speak to the other, uh, the married lady in the game, like yeah, in, yeah. A, in a language she understands, which is Outlander. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will keep you folks updated. Uh, I think my comments on that show as I watch season four kind of 
because I usually play video games or do something else while while Gene is watching it. Uh, I will just say, why is Claire back in the past? Holy God, the past is awful. Why would you do that? <laughs> We've been over this over and over I and over know, but again. You still haven't convinced me. Flush toilets, flush toilets. Just not pooping in a hole in the are, ground. Like, are you saying that if I had traveled through time and met you? Back in the 18th century. Our, our children have ruined time travel for us because our children would be back here and I'd be like, I have to go take care of the kids, honey. I'm sorry. Because they follow the clock is always ticking in San Dimas method of time travel, which means any time I spend in the past is also going on in the future. And so if I'm gone for a day, I'm gone for a day here too. Well, yeah, no, no. I'm talking about like if you were like an 18th century person. But then I would be an 18th century person and I'd be used to the awful. See, this whole thing breaks down. You can't, you can't relate with it. Ugh, whatever. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine. Speaking of uh, of long lost loves on the show, uh, the creators of the Gilmore Girls moved on to a new show on Amazon called The Marvelous Miss Maisel, which you have been watching fairly religiously. And I've been watching, again, kind of on the side because I'm not quite as into it as I was into the Gilmore Girls. But uh, the, the new season launched. How, how far, how deep are you into this new season? Uh, I think I'm on like episode three or four, uh, but it's pretty, it's fun. It's interesting. Um, you know, nobody talks realistically, but everybody's funny. They kind of address uh, money issues because before then they kind of weren't. And it's kind of like a, the, the, how do the characters on TV have such great wardrobes when clothes like that cost money? And they just sort of ignored it until now. Now And now it's like, oh, well, yeah, they had money, but that's because, you know, the, the dad had a pretty cushy job and that's not there anymore. And they have to downsize and it'll be interesting. I'm mad because uh, Shazam, Zachary Levi, isn't on the show for season four, which yeah, I don't know. Ever since I watched that dude in Chuck, like, I don't even think he's a great actor. He's, he's not bad, but I, there's just something about that guy I like. Yeah, he was on that show last season, and he's not on the show anymore, which is too bad because I liked him and uh, the main main character together. Yeah, they were cute. They were but cute. on the other hand, they're kind of setting it up that she and her ex kind of have a relationship where like they're meant for each other, and so. Uh, Aww, yeah. but Shazam! Yeah. But Shazam! I know, I know. <sighs> that makes me sad. And he he was a. He was his character was a doctor, you know, back in the fifties. That was like gold. Yeah. All right. So there's this other show that I, I have like not seen anything of because you're watching it when I'm not around, and I'm wondering if you're doing that deliberately. What's this one called? Sand Sanditon Sand Sanditon. Yeah, it's on PBS. It's Masterpiece Theater. Um, it's based on like an unfinished novel of Jane Austen's, and so I guess people have finished it. Um, well, how about multiple people have finished it and they've done it in different ways. And so I'm just sort of finding out about it, but it looked interesting because, you know, period drama I like. Um, and it's, you know, with a spunky heroine dealing with class and society. And uh, I mean, it's it's interesting uh, so far. There's an old lady, she's kind of a bench. And uh, they have a black character, actually, um, who's interesting because... Uh, her father was this rich guy who fell in love with one of his slaves and he you know married her and had a daughter and she became this heiress and she's like ridiculously rich and so she's kind of a prize catch because of that but you know she's also black 
she doesn't like being treated she doesn't like being basically paraded around as a, as a prize to be won but she especially knows that people only want her for her money and so um i think that'll be interesting and it's like a six or eight part show i didn't realize it was going to be that so um there's probably going to be new episodes coming up soon and i'm looking forward to it mm-hmm. okay okay it's a very girly show <laughs> i mean as jane austen goes they've I don't think Jane Austen's ever really dealt with like race before, so it'll be interesting. And then speaking of uh, only having seen things on TV, although you hadn't seen this at all, I-, I mentioned last time that you had never seen Sneakers, which we have fixed that now, haven't we? Yeah, that was that was an enjoyable movie. I liked it. Yeah. There is no way he's that same character. I'm not saying I'm not saying it is a trilogy. I'm saying you pretend it's a trilogy. That you pretend it's the same character. I don't know. So here's the thing, though. Like, okay, so this is the movie with Robert Redford and blah, 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 blah. Both Spy Game and Sneakers, they they both have references to Three Days of the Condor. Because do you remember what uh, his alias was, uh, Redford's alias and Sneakers was? Yeah. Martin? Okay, you don't remember. Oh, wait, no, yeah, what was his? It starts with a B. So he plays a dude named Martin Bishop. That's his alias, right? And so in Three Days of the Condor, uh, at the end, uh, when he's looking over a list of names of people who died in his section, there's a guy named Martin something, and then there's another, it's like a list, and there's two columns, and on the bottom of one column is Martin something, and on the bottom of the second column is somebody Bryce. So, like, they're very clearly, like, doing things from Three Days of the Condor. And like little Easter eggs, uh, but the producers even say like they're they're trying to get that vibe, like this is you know, in that tone or something. And so yeah, it's 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 references, but yeah, it's not it's not a trilogy. I get that it's not, it's a secret trilogy. It's <laughs> it's like Dragon Age. Dragon Age One, Dragon Age Origins is not a sequel to Baldur's Gate. It is a spiritual successor. And so Sneakers and Spy Game are spiritual successors to Three Days of the Condor. Well, I enjoyed it a lot, at least because, you know, the lone female character, Mary McDonald, is capable and smart and nobody doubts her reason for being there. As opposed to Three Days of the Condor, where like, what's, you know, uh, like, what the uh, hell is what's-her-face doing there <laughs> oh for? My. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, no, just their whole love story is creepy in Three yeah. Days of the Condor. Yeah. That, w- that was a vast improvement in both Spy Game and Sneakers was there was a distinct lap of... Ah, <laughs> ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should come up with some sort of like system for how many uh, are, are there. In, yeah, in we, we kind of need that for Bond because Goldfinger, Goldfinger had some... Uh, but it wasn't as bad as uh, Dr. No's like... Oh, ah. <laughs> yeah... So would you recommend if people haven't seen the the sneakers? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like Red Robert Redford doing the thing that he does well. It's got like the cast. <laughs> yeah, and it's got a really good cast. Well, yeah, it's Ben Kingsley, Sidney Poitier, uh Dan Aykroyd's in it, River Phoenix, Mary McDonnell. Like, yeah, everybody's in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 really good. I wouldn't even say it's dated because it's not they're not, you know, hacking using fake technology that's true yeah most of the hacking they do is the, well it's mostly breaking and entering and then you know rewiring stuff while they're there <laughs> yeah although the black box is an answering machine probably wouldn't fly in this day and age well yeah updating some of the technology but <laughs> other than that the actual process of, of doing it uh they could 
they could they could definitely remake it. Because <laughs> I remember when I was growing up, uh, a lot of the older women were like, "Oh, Robert Redford, oh, he's so dreamy," and I was thinking like, "What?" But you know, as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh, "Okay, I see, I see what those old women are talking about." <laughs> oh, you're a Redford fan now. Well, not like a terrible, not like a huge fan. <laughs> Just you know, I see the I see the appeal of him. You know, what you and I should watch. Uh, a long, long time ago, I got into westerns and I watched a movie called Jeremiah Johnson, and that is a really kind of odd movie because it's it's very old. And I remember I watched it the first time, and it's long. And then like maybe a half hour or forty five minutes from the end of the movie, there's just this like random intermission, you know. And and the VHS tape I watched of it back in the day had it, you know. There's just this like three four minute bit where it was just you know music playing intermission, and I'm like, what? What? <laughs> yeah, no joke. Used to have intermissions. Used to have a spot where you could go pee. You know, not like when we take our daughter to Star Wars films and I, I miss important stuff featuring Han Solo in every freaking Star Wars movie that's come out because that's right <laughs> when our daughter has to pee. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and no, mommy can't take me to the bathroom. Daddy has to take me to the bathroom because daddy's so superior to, to mommy in that <laughs> regard. I can't argue with with you there, daughter. Yeah, go take daddy. I'll just be here watching a movie. <laughs> Blood on the size of a pea. All right, so I think that's about everything. I've still been watching The Simpsons, but I, I've just been having a good time. I, I haven't gotten to a point that I don't recognize shows, so I, I don't have much to say besides I'm having a good time. But uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to bring up uh, your handiwork because this is a... A, sh- a show about our nerdy hobbies. People may not know this about the, you, but you've been uh, sewing and crocheting and uh, and knitting and stuff. And uh, recently, you knit me a future war cult sc- uh, beanie from uh, from Destiny. So it's like a hideous purple on top, and then it's got like neon orange and yellow, and it's great, and I love it. Uh, Aww. And then um, and now you've started on a scarf for me in the same colors, so I can go rock the future war calls and wear these like hideous disco seventies like Logan's Run colors, <laughs> and I love it. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it's yeah, so good. it's been fun because yeah, I've, I've decided to kind of take up crocheting. Um, just I happen to have some crochet needles, so I'm like, alrighty, how hard is this? And it's not hard. Uh, there's plenty of women people out there that have discussed the. You know, knitting versus crochet, what's better, whatnot. And it's just a good way of keeping my fingers occupied while we're watching terrible movies. You know, and, and I'm watching so many terrible movies. Yeah. So. Yeah. I've really infected you with my love of terrible movies. But uh, come on, come on. There, there is some weird charm to watching a really horrifically bad movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's good that, you know, since I can crochet while I'm doing it, it means that I end up with the, you know, something at the end, end of it. Yes, yes. Not just the enjoyment, but like a physical item made out of the badness. (laughs) (laughs) And then for my sewing projects, what I'm trying to do is convert some of my old T-shirts or the T-shirts that you're throwing away because they're full of holes. And I'm trying to turn them into pants for our boys because they don't have a ton of pants i guess or at least pants that they could pull up and down themselves <laughs> so my first experiment was a t-shirt of drake his face is on the front of it it's uh interesting <laughs> at least it's not drake on their butt i guess it's just on the side it's just on the side like a cool like leg thing it's so hip <laughs> yeah so that's been my my you know latest project is, is trying to sew up some pants 
if you guys want to see them, I can post pictures, but I have a feeling nobody really wants to see them. <laughs> I'll post a picture of my hat. I still, I, I no, I did that. Didn't I do that? On, I know I have one on my phone. I have, I, I don't know if I posted that on Facebook yet. I will yeah. fix that if I haven't. So, okay. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our off the shelf section. We're going to take a quick break and we will be back very soon with our wisdom of crowds segment. See you later, folks. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from that break. It is now time for the Wisdom of Crowds, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. And yes, we have not had anything to talk about in a long, long time. And of course, Jonathan goes away on assignment uh, <laughs> when uh, when there's actually news and, and, and leaves us to, to read it. And some of it is much more in his, uh, his wheelhouse than it is ours, but we will muddle through as best we can. Well, I could talk about it next week if he really, really wants to. No, that's his price he has to pay for going away. He oh, doesn't get true. to talk about these things. They're dead to him. Yeah, you lost out, Jonathan. Uh, yes, we know you're listening to us. These are dead to you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> First off, uh, Restoration Games has their new Kickstarter up, which is Return to Dark Tower. And it is doing super well on the Kickstarter. Is it like $2.6 million on a... I think they wanted to make like 500,000 or something to make it. So yeah, it kind of got funded. Well, I mean, I could see why it's, it's got everything that makes a good Kickstarter. It's hitting that nostalgia, which is good. Um, it's got a pile of awesome minis, which, uh, and, and, and the best part is, I don't know how this has, I don't know how the, the gameplay works on this game at all. I think Jonathan knows, but this game is dead to him. So he doesn't get to talk about it. <laughs> but what I love about it is you put like skulls on your city. And if you put like four skulls on, it means your hero's corrupted or whatever. But yeah, you've got little skull tokens that you put on your cities. Yeah. It's, it's so yeah. metal. Um, but yeah yeah it's got lots of minis it's got this like cool prop in the center which is this dark tower and it like spins and it does all this cool stuff and um yeah it 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 looks great the game looks rad also what i really love about it is uh you can do an upgrade where you can get like a neoprene board so instead of having like you know like a a a cardboard board for chumps you can have like a groovy neoprene board which is so much more cool (laughs) neoprene isn't that the stuff they make like scuba suits out of yeah remember my war machine mat that i used to have the four by four war machine mat that's neoprene so it's like that but it's a game board. oh cool oh. huh yeah cool. <laughs> easy to clean there you go no no it's not <laughs> as a guy who's played war machine and spilt soda on his neoprene mat that stuff because they make wetsuits out of it but they're called wetsuits because the water gets through <laughs> oh. see if you want if you want to be dry like James Bond was when he swam up to shore and, and did all that stuff in Goldfinger and then took it off and his tuxedo was underneath that was a dry suit that it was not a wetsuit. But we're not allowed to talk about Goldfinger, unfortunately. That is dead to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no talking about wetsuits and dry suits. And That's tuxedos. right. That's right. Restoration Games, Return to Dark Tower. Uh, it's on Kickstarter now. It will be on Kickstarter for about six more days when this comes out. So check it out. 
for those of you that don't know, uh, a new D&D book has been announced. Uh, it is based off of the, is it Critical Role and uh, what's his face? It's Critical uh, Role, yeah. Yeah, Critical Role. Uh, the Explorer's Guide to Wildemount. It's going to include an expansive Wildemount gazetteer which dis- with descriptions of the major factions. And there'll be new subclasses, new spells, and new and a tool to help players deeply integrate their characters into the setting. Uh, new magic items, of course, including weapons that become more powerful to match their wielders. Uh, new creatures that are native to Wildemount. And four introductory adventures, one for each unique region of Wildemount. Is it one of those where if you have been watching Critical Role, then you'd be a lot more familiar with the setting? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Critical Role has had two campaigns, and the second campaign has taken place here. I've learned a lot about the setting via osmosis over the last week. The theme of the campaign is there is a school that teaches a unique form of magic that is about time travel, and it has vanished because time travel. And the characters, one of the things they're doing is like searching it down. So all of the new subclasses that, because they've kind of, they haven't like revealed them like what they do, but they've revealed them in the sense of they've named them and said what they're going to do in a narrative high sense without rules. And they all deal with time travel in one way or another. So, and and you're going to have your basic, there's going to be the wizardy, there's going to be the caster time travel subclass, the fighter time travel subclass, and they're going to have a a roguey one too. Oh, that'll be interesting. Especially if they deal with like the various time travel rules. And here's the thing. Uh, I'm going to say this. I have seen so much hate on the internet from the grognards my age that are like, why are they doing this? This is just pandering. Why don't they make an old second edition setting and re-release that? And I am slowly losing my mind reading this stuff. <laughs> you is. know, if they did release an old second edition setting, that'd be pandering to the old people. <laughs> right? Right. So it's it's not that they're pandering. It's just they're not pandering to me. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I hate it. And, and Okay. Here's the thing. People in general really need to learn, but nerds need to learn it too, especially old Grognar D&D nerds. Just because the kids get something doesn't mean that you lost anything, okay? By every metric that Wizards has ever done, do you know what the most popular campaign setting is? Uh, in Dungeons and Dragons right now. Forgotten Realms? No, no, it's not. It is homebrew. More people have their own settings than use anything else. Oh, wow, really? Yes, yes, by by a mile. I think it's like 50% or something homebrew, and then like, you know, 30 to 40 is Forgotten Realms, and then the, the remaining 10 to 20 is other old settings. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah. So, so here's the thing. They're not pandering. Like, Critical Role's huge. Like, that fan base is huge. They're going to buy it up. But, you know, like, those of us, like, I don't know, our game at home, who we have our own homebrew setting, like, I'm going to probably buy this and steal stuff from it because I steal stuff from my own settings all the time. Like, our setting is a mishmash of, like, a dozen different ideas that I liked from various things I've read. Well, yeah, that's the mark of a good DM is you you borrow heavily <laughs> from yes. other settings. Yeah, old guys like me... Like, like our generation, just let the kids have fun, you know? Yeah. You're not losing anything. There's going to be rules. And you know what? And that's the thing, too. I saw uh, I saw something that hurt my head so bad. <laughs> they were like, I wish Wizards would get back to what TSR did and just make up new settings 
and and not do all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, so let me get this straight. Like Ravnica, which has never been a D&D setting, and I didn't know much about until the book came out, that wasn't a new setting. And this, which I don't know anything about because I don't watch Critical Role because it's not my jam, this will be a new set. I love settings. I'm going to read this. Just let the kids have fun. Don't be the fun police. Ah. Yeah. And the kids might actually end up joining your table and you can finally like actually have a have players for your game. Right. Right. Let the kids have fun. Let them listen to their rock and rolls and, and eat their penny candies and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Alrighty. Okay. Yeah, next. Moving on. Yeah, that's enough. That's enough ranting and negativity. Fantasy Flight Games has announced that, unfortunately, the next Star Wars Destiny expansion, Covert Missions, will be the last one. Uh, I didn't get any sense on when this is coming out, but they talked about the World Championship and the organized play of this coming out in May. So I I think that is probably right around the release date. Um, and it sounds like they're going to go try to go out with a bang on this because the game is very popular, but they have said they, they are ending the line on this as of that expansion, which is sad. I know jo- that'll make Jonathan sad. He got really deep into that game. Star Wars Destiny Covert Missions, final expansion. Over to you, my love. Aww. My ecstasy. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Apple of my eye, cream in my coffee. <laughs> you don't take cream in your coffee. Next up, uh, Monty Cook Games has announced a cipher system uh, and five, fifth edition re-release of, of the setting Tallis, which you have the original book, the giant textbook. I stop do. A bullet. I do. Yes, it could stop a bullet. Uh, so Tallis, uh, after Monty quit Wizards, he released Tallis. I forget what the exact timeline was, but... What's notable about the Tallest game is it was the game he was running when they were developing third edition Dungeons and Dragons. And so some concepts that made it into the game, like prestige classes, came out of that campaign. Yeah, I remember you were describing this book to me and it sounded interesting because while it is kind of fantasy, it's uh, because I guess Tallest was a city or was it like a city state? Yeah, a little of A, a little B. Technically, it's the largest easternmost city of an empire but that empire's on the decline and it might as well be a city state uh, the the 50,000 foot overview is Tallis is a city by the spire and the spire is there's a big spire of rock and uh spoiler alert there's an evil citadel on the top of that spire of rock and it's so evil that the earth itself is trying to push it away from itself and that's why there's this impossibly tall spire of rock by the city that's a big spoiler don't pay attention to that um <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it's 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 this city and it's built on top of this old dwarf city and all these dungeons and uh yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. Like I I've it's been on my bucket list of things to run forever and I just have not gotten around to it. So yeah, if you are interested in it, the Kickstarter will start in February and there will be separate books for the Cypher system and 5th edition. I I'm warning you. I I might want to go in on that one. <sighs> okay, okay. It's the, it's the book that's so good. Why not buy it twice? It's it's like the first rule in government spending, a la contact. Why buy one when you could have two at twice the price? <laughs> oh, geez. I mean, you you are a Monty Cook fanboy. Are you still a Monty Cook fanboy? Uh, yeah, yeah. A yeah, bit, okay. a bit, a bit. I, I might be okay with it. Maybe. <laughs> just, just maybe. It's my birthday. Um... <laughs> 
Last but not least, uh, Pelgrane Press has announced that the Gumshoe Community Program has launched. Now, by the Gumshoe Community Project pro- Program, I basically mean the DMs Guild, but for Gumshoe. Uh, the first thing that they have released into it is the Ashen Stars setting, which is their sci-fi setting. I've read Ashen Stars. I actually really liked it. Uh, the, the setting's a little odd. <laughs> What's odd about it is it's like a lot of sci-fi games are basically like sci-fi property X with the numbers filed off and Ashen Stars isn't anything identifiable, but it's got a lot of elements of a lot of stuff. Like there's Trek and Wars and Galactica and, and Firefly kind of mixed into a weird pot. It's a little bit of everything, but it's not so much of one thing that it's definitely that. Does that make any sense? Kind of. <laughs> like it's a stew, but you can't tell what went into the stew. <laughs> Is this slow cooker stew where everything yeah. just turned into mush? Yes, yes. It's the slow cooker <laughs> of sci-fi properties. Perfect. You okay. get a point. Okay. They just basically said Ashen Stars hasn't gotten the love that it deserves, and so they've, they're going to fire off their community program by letting people do what they want with it. Based off of my experience with Tales from the Loop, I'm really thinking like I might just run Aliens and Ashen Stars because, uh, yeah, I'm kind of a gumshoe fanboy. I like that system a lot. <laughs> I, I like that system too, uh, mainly because, yeah, I'm, I'm not about the numbers. I really like just easy, fluffy games, and that's gumshoe. Yeah, and, and it's more resource management, and yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Well, that brings us to our Year in the Life segment. Uh, that's the segment where we take a look at what we deep dove a year ago and we have a few minutes or 365 seconds, which we have not kept ourselves to ever. So I don't know why I'm bringing it up, uh, to talk about it again. And if we want to go longer, then we need to take it off the shelf again. Gina, what were we talking about a year ago? Uh, forgot my dice episode 55, a big old bread knife. It was new game master month. A surprise, surprise. And it was about running your first RPG. Yes, yes. I, I recently reread that, or reread. I always say reread. I recently re-listened to that episode. I, re- I, remember, I remember the rant I wanted to go on when we were doing that, which was, it was New Game Master Month, and I was seeing a lot of New Game Masters on the internet, like, really stressing about running a game for their first time. And uh, the thing I wanted to get across, this was, like, my hidden message, which was not very hidden, was, if you're at a gaming table with all of your friends you are like 90% there because you know how to sit at a table and have fun with your friends. So don't worry. It'll be fine. Even I was a new game master, you know, when we had the store new ish. I mean, like I had a couple of games under my belt, but actually I think only, I only had like one game under my belt at that point, but I did fine. Yeah, exactly. Also in that episode, we talked about into the spider verse because Jonathan had seen it by that point. Uh, That was when we got the fine, Fine, delectable, greenly coffee. Greenly coffee, not acidic, goes down smooth, has uh, lovely, lovely undertones. I would love to have another bag, Ray. Yeah, that was that was great. I'd love to have some more of that. Yeah, I'm jonesing for some good coffee right now. Our coffee, we're getting like the Costco special right now, and it we've had it for way too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. <sighs> I mean, we were kind of limited in our options, and especially since we get them from Costco, we just get huge bags of it. So it's the same. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's and a little different. And you know what we uh, we had just done a year ago? What we had just made our characters for the Swords of the Serpentine playtest, which that book is still not out. Although it, I think he turned over the final manuscript. If I if I've read my twitters correctly. But yeah, and it was fun because I had to like talk about us making characters without actually like describing the process at all because I couldn't. 
<laughs> are, are we allowed to talk about it now? It's not out yet, so no. <laughs> uh, okay. Hey, so does that mean that we're going to be in the credits? Yes. Yes, we will. Ooh, Ooh yeah. <laughs> and here's the yeah. thing. I don't even remember how to make characters in that game because I assumed it would be out by now, and it's still not Kevin Culp. I'm looking yeah. at you. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of vaguely remember stuff, but not not really. <laughs> my, my, my memory Swiss cheese. I remember it was good. I remember we had a really good time. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. All right. Well, that is the end of the Wisdom of Crowds and and a year in the life and all that jazz. Join us again in just a few minutes when we will once again talk to the new game masters out there. Although I think we are kind of doing maybe the new-ish game masters out there. I will go with ish. New-ish. Yes. There you go. See you back. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by hitting us up at one of the following. You can join us on Patreon, where we post bonus content. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitter. Find us at Forgot My Dice. You can join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash FMD podcast. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give Forgot My Dice a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Lastly, for those of you seeking experiences beyond our concepts of pleasure and pain, set the Lamont configuration to full hell mode. Oddly, you can find us in several levels of the labyrinth as the only thing playing on the radio. Wait, what? I have such sights to show you, Jonathan. Ah, I need to take your Netflix account away from you. And welcome back. Uh, Wow. Those few moments seemed like days, didn't they, Gina? <laughs> I know. It's, it's amazing how time just kind of passes. <laughs> when you're, just, uh, you're just taking a very short break in between yes. segments. Very, very short break and in between segments. It's still totally Monday. Yes, still completely the day of the recording. And you uh, know, we got the case in a Mondays or something, right? Yeah. Right, right. Yes, yes. Uh, so, way back when, a year ago, uh, for episode 55, we talked about New Game Master Month, and in that one, we encouraged all of you lovely listeners to go Game Master something. I guess I kind of assumed it's D&D, just because everybody seems to start with D&D, unless you're one of those rare few, and in which case, pat yourself on the back, you get to have an interesting story to convention. You should also, uh, you should also Game Master at, a, at your local uh, game store, or your local FLGS. Maybe. That, that's high level stuff. That, that, that's, that's, I mean, y- you did it. So, yeah. you know, yeah, it's not an unsurmountable hurdle, but it's, it's definitely an up there hurdle. But uh, I thought for this follow up, since you and I had recently homebrewed up a setting and I've been talking about it a little bit on the old podcast, we should talk about homebrew in general. Like, what does homebrewing a setting mean and, and have a discussion about that? You know, just try to encourage people that, you know, because maybe somebody's out there where, you know, they want to GM, but they, they, or they want to DM, but they really, really want to craft their own world. And, and it's like holding them back because they, you know, it's easy to think it's impossible. It's not impossible. You can do it. Anybody can do it. I could do it. There are thousands of nerds out there doing it every day. You can be one of them. Yes. During that really, really short break, I went and I found that article that was talking about what Wizards thinks is the percentage of people who homebrew. And it's 55% of D&D Game Masters homebrew. Nah, that's pretty big. Yeah. And then 10% use any other setting that Wizards has ever made. 
Uh, and then the 35 in there is the Forgotten Realms. So if you're wondering why everything is Forgotten Realms, A, Forgotten Realms is generic enough that it's just high fantasy, so it's easy to steal from. And B, it is 35% of the, the user base. But the 55%, this is for you guys. So Robert, why would you homebrew up a setting? Well, I was going to ask you that. Like, what, what do you think? What do you think the reason that, you know, more than half of the GMs out there, DMs, D&D DMs, want to homebrew up a setting? Do you have any thoughts or ideas? Well, if it's anything like the crappy fantasy novels I got swimming around in my head, it's because everybody has a great kernel of an idea for a world. Um, and especially they think it, uh, it, uh, it would be a good setting for a game. Yeah, I remember I got my start. I have this really vivid memory of sitting in a tent camping somewhere uh, on my sleeping bag with my drawing pad propped up on a pillow. And I was drawing maps and swords for a JRPG that I wanted to make. And uh, that was long before I had D&D. But um, yeah, I've been I've been world building ever since I played that first Final Fantasy when I was a wee lad. And if, uh, if I remember correctly, you were telling me that you had uh, just fantasy novels rattling around in your head a little bit and you had done a little bit of world building for them. Yeah. Um, the way I did it more likely is I, I read a lot of fantasy novels or at least started a lot of fantasy novels. And, you know, I, I just wasn't seeing a lot of characters that I liked. And so I would think of, you know, interesting characters and the kind of world they'd inhabit. Um, especially since a lot of the fantasy world out there, they tended to follow kind of like the Yale generic templates. And mm-hmm. it just wasn't interesting to me. Well, and that's a very valid reason that you might want to GM or, or DM. Maybe you want to make a world like, you know, you're kind of ta- tired of the uh, ye standard D&D world. And there's some twist that you are just in love with and that you want to explore a little bit more and, and build a world out of, you know. Like maybe you want something that's a little bit more Oz inspired or, you know, a, a D&D world kind of like uh, the Dying Earth series where it's high fantasy, but it's actually like the far, far future. And there's, you know, there's magic because of science and nanotech or whatever, you know, and and, and the sky's the limit. Like, well, no, yeah, I've read some really f- uh, fun fantasy novels where, the, you know, you have magic alongside technology and um, other kind of, you know, modern like tropes and it was kind of fun uh, seeing them all together. So maybe, you know, yeah, you want to create a world where that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's just e generic JRPG. JRPGs do that all the time. So the point is a lot of people have a kernel of an idea and you can do it. It's not hard. Uh, for your first one, I, I came up with like basically homebrewing one one I came up with seven rules that I think if you follow these for your first world, you're going to be okay. And you can do it. Anybody can do it. And there you go. So. Okay, cool. So what's uh, rule number one then? Okay, rule number one. This is the very, very, very important one. Start small. I know we talk about world building a lot and people get the idea that world means like the whole damn globe. And a lot of D&D players, when they start world building, I see them make this mistake where they start with like a giant continent. And here's the thing. No D&D player ever is going to go across the entire globe of, <laughs> of any setting ever. So you want to start small. You want to start with stuff you're actually going to use because at some point, if you're making the whole world, you're going to be detailing some far-flung continent and it's going to dawn on you 
that you're never going to use this. And it's really, you know, it's really easy to lose steam if you do that. So my suggestion is you start small. You start with a relatively small piece of land. You draw a map of like a, a town that you want to base your game out of in the center and maybe put like another town or two or three sort of at the outskirts and just sort of arbitrarily decide that those are at most three, maybe four days right away. And, you know, draw yourself a river and some fun little stuff and, uh, and then, you know, call it, call it there. You don't need to have an entire globe. You just need to have the place that your players are going to stay at until they're like level three to five. They're not going to range out from here much beyond that. Yeah. It's also a good way for you to then establish just a few basic NPCs. Right. And, and, and usable NPCs, because if you like, if there's a giant neighboring empire with this, you know, crazy parliamentary system with like a Caesar and all that. You know, like, what are the odds your players are going to run into that? But the local lord or the local mayor or whatever, the candle maker for, for you know, like, that's somebody your player could run into. If you put a name to that face, like, it'll actually come up because your players are going to be staying ma- mainly in that one town. Okay. Uh, what about rule number two, then? The rule number two is the next thing you need to do with your map is you need to seed it with adventure. Go giggity. you need to put in your ruins your bandit camps your dungeons your caves your hills full of orcs your enchanted forests forests uh, your enchanted for i can't even say that right now your enchanted woodland areas (laughs) (laughs) and you know anything anything that you you thought was cool in a movie that you saw or read in a book like you know like a place that sounds cool for adventure gina give me a place that sounds cool for adventure right now a wizard tower there you go a wizard tower. Is it abandoned? Yeah, is and it not? in fact, you don't even have to have them all mapped out or you just basically you start with the kernel of it. Like, uh, yeah, you know, let's put some goblin camps here. Let's put some, you know, a, a ruined castle here. And then it gives the players an option to choose where to go to. And then, you know, you can go on from there. Yeah, if you're running a sandbox game. And, and if you're not, you know, it's like, I need to run an adventure. Uh, oh, hey, there's that castle over there. You just go find a castle map on the internet and go like, boom, this is now castle, whatever. And then, you know, what was once a castle ruin, since you're going to run an adventure there, you can fill in the story. It's like, oh, this was the old Duke's castle, but it got destroyed. And the new Duke built a new one elsewhere and blah, blah, blah. You know, but you can fill in those blanks as you go along, you don't need to have it all at the get go necessarily. Although if you have a really cool idea and you want to put it in and it, it's a very fleshed out idea, I mean, you know, do that too. Yeah, by but you all don't means, ha- go put it in there. And, but then you have to make sure you leave enough crumbs that your players can find it, but not, not, not make it sound like they're being led to it. They railroaded. To railroaded to it. Yeah. All right. What about rule number three? Rule number three, each and every area you make, major area, not not like, you know, every individual tree and hill, but every area you make has to have one secret associated with it. And it could be anything. Uh, but your local town, it's like, oh, there is a tribe of kobolds that lives under the town, but they're nice. And as long as people keep throwing stuff away that's shiny that they like, they'll, you know, keep this, the sewer clean or whatever. But as soon as something messes that up, you know, they, the, the goblin or the kobolds might start coming out of the sewer and, and stealing shiny things. And boom, there you go. You've got an adventure that can come up. <laughs> and, you know, or like that wizard tower that you mentioned, like, 
you could say that that wizard tower has been long abandoned and now there's bandits in there, but maybe there's still a secret lab or maybe the wizard, you know, isn't really dead. Maybe he like did some sort of magical experiment and he just sort of like teleported himself 10 feet, but that 10 feet takes him, you know, a hundred, 200 years to, to fully manifest through. So, you know, maybe this wizard's going to bamf back this possibly powerful wizard. Who's going to be like, Hey, the world's changed. I should take it over or whatever. There, there just should be a secret. Hey, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did not make that up. That was Monty Cook. So hence why I'm going to buy Tallis, bringing it back around, bringing it back around. <laughs> but yeah, and remember, Gina, what is the worst kind of mystery? The ones that nobody solves? The ones that nobody solves. Don't make up your secrets if you don't intend to share them. Trust me, GMs out there, knowledge is way more fun than not getting knowledge. So don't be afraid to spill all the secrets. You don't want to make it too easy, but you don't want to make it so hard and that it, it discourages the players from trying to solve it. The point is, don't make a secret that's so secret that nobody can ever figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, the mysteries are fun when you solve them. That's why Lost got a little tedious after a while, because the mysteries kept compounding themselves and nothing ever resolved. <laughs> you you want to, like, solve some stuff. What would you say to then if, like, you know, if there are mysteries that, you know, don't get solved because the players aren't interested in solving it? That's fine. If, it, if you come up with a secret and it never comes up, oh, well. Because here's the thing, and we'll, we'll get to this a little later. Maybe you'll come back to this area later, and it could come back up then. You just You just save it. Yeah, that'd be cool. Especially if you planted the seeds for it, like early on, and uh, you know that were completely ignored. And then a few more sessions on the line, you know, it comes back up. It's like, oh, hey, that's been something this whole time. Yes, and even if it wasn't, uh, a GM's greatest trick that you got to learn is how to make something that is completely coincidental seem like you planned it the whole time. <laughs> it's a good trick to know. That unfortunately is on the art, not the science. So that's a little bit harder to uh, to grasp. Yeah. All right. What about rule number four? I don't see a lot of this in a lot of the how-to homebrew guides, but this is my one of my favorites. Think a wee little bit about the wider world. Okay. So like you have your map. A lot of people will just say like, don't worry too much beyond the map. I say worry a little bit about what's beyond the map. Basically, you want to ask the question, what kingdom or land are you in? And have a very vague notion <laughs> of <laughs> what what government is in the area. So if like, Say you're in the you're your setting is in the kingdom of Maravosia, right? You just got to ask yourself like what who's who's the king or queen or whatever of Maravosia, and maybe one one secret or whatever just based off of that. But then that's it. You know, you don't have to come up with like a list of nobles and the hierarchy and the heirs and all that. Just you know, if somebody says like, oh, on the honor of good king uh, Stephen. <laughs> or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, like I will avenge you or just something, something you could say that sort of just makes the world like you're there, like you are in this kingdom. Look, they're talking about the king, huh? Um, even if it never comes up after that. Uh, and by that same notion, all of the cardinal directions, you kind of have to have a vague, and I do mean vague, like if you're writing this down in your GM notes, you as the GM only have maybe two paragraphs, preferably one, about whatever. So like for, for our game, I've done that. In our kingdom of Maravosia, I know to the north are the dwarven clans of Solmont, and uh, to the east is our air quotes Mediterranean Sea. I think it's called the Mycansian Sea or something, but it's just there's a sea over there, and it goes to like you know Eastern Europe and Northern Africa of our world and all of that. To the west is the emperor, uh, the Empire of Izmir, which we stole from the D and D movie because the D and D movie was great. Movie ever. <laughs> 
I, I think I remember when we watched that, I think I said jokingly, we should just steal the empire and, and like take it back, you know, make <laughs> Izmir cool. I don't know. But yeah, so we, we stole Izmir and it's a majocracy and it's got a parliament. Uh, possibly headed by necromatic Jeremy Irons, who knows, but, but again, like that, that's all we know about it. Like, like it's, it's just Izmir. It's over there. And everybody like, has nineties haircuts. That's right. Everybody has nineties haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, to the South is the enchanted forest of the Mistwood, And then because I, I realized I want, I didn't throw them in. And I really wanted to, I decided that since uh, Maravosia is uh, Spain, uh, that means that Germany has to be kind of like to the East or the Northeast or whatever. So I decided that uh, the Ixalan, you know, holy vampires are up there because you know, I, I had to throw in the holy I, vampires. I think that's a little bit more than that's kind of needed for homebrewing, although it's a good thing to have just because stuff like that comes up. Right, and, right, right. And, and what I'm saying yeah. is like the, the doors to the north, you know, yeah. uh, like because I just decided that the, the clans fight a lot. And so a lot of mercenaries get mercenary work up there fighting with the Dwarven clans. And it's come up a couple of times in our game where I've mentioned it. And it makes the world seem more lived in, but I, yeah. re- I, I don't know any of the clan names. I don't, I don't even know who the emperor is up there. I don't even know really what they do. I haven't thought about it much. I've only thought about that one hook, which is mercenary work up north. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's and that's good. Mainly because the last thing you want to do when you know a player asks a questions, just kind of like, oh, say what's to the north of here. You don't want to sit there going like, uh, and then try to pull something out of your ass because. Right, yeah. exactly. And and it's one of those things you can just as long as the cardinal directions have a character trait, you can just reference it. You know, like again, to the east is the the air quotes Mediterranean Sea. You know, like the fact that people ship on that, you know, the fact that it's got, you know, other continents and other peoples on the coast of it and whatnot. Like if you have a port town that comes up because it's on the air quotes Mediterranean Sea, Anything can be in that port. Like you could have a ship from somewhere else. And and if you need it for like your adventure to work, you know, like a, a ship from the country full of dragonborn, like you can just have it there because it makes sense because it's a major shipping, you know, route and the barest of essentials there just so you can draw just little things from it. It gives the world a little bit more texture, which helps a little bit. And like I said, paragraph, paragraph, like don't, don't go beyond the paragraph. And it's kind of funny because then if, those other extra things end up being important later. And then you spend the time to like flesh that out. People think you did that from the get go. That's darn tootin'. See, you have learned all of my evil early on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What about rule number five? Rule number five. And this is the rule that doesn't make me many friends on the internet. The only person that cares about your homebrew is you. So you've got your world, or you got your world, you got your local area, your town with the Lord and all that. A lot of people get the bright idea to write a very detailed, you know, breakdown of everything in your campaign, what this town is, its timeline, how long it's been around, yada, yada, yada. Gina, can I ask you a question? Do you have children? Yeah. Do they keep you relatively busy? Pretty busy. When I wrote a 15-page players packet, which given broke my own rule that I'm staying right now, uh, did you read it? (laughs) Hell no, I helped you come up with it too, and I didn't read it. That's right. Should I have kept it to one page, like I'm about to suggest? Would you have read it then? I think I skimmed it. Didn't you have like a one and a half pager, and I... Yes, yes, it started with, yeah. Actually, I gave you that one and a half page because that was the part I wanted you to read. But that's my point. Nobody I still cares about. skimmed it. <laughs> Nobody cares about the homebrew but you. What you can expect your players to read, maybe, because my own wife couldn't read my drivel, 
is, is one page. And there's a really good video that Matt Coville does on this called, uh, it's Matt Coville's Running the Game number 73, The Handout. I believe that's the right one. The Handout is just a one-page handout that you give to the players, which sums up everything they need to know about the campaign. And if you can't fit it on that one page, then you need to cut stuff because that's all you can expect your players to read. And any other fluff or anything else you want to communicate, you have to do that elsewhere. That is why... In our game, uh, if you've heard me talk about it the last couple times, uh, you guys, uh, you know, Batman, your one style, walked or rode into the kingdom and you went through a big chunk of it. And I did that because I was using that time to communicate setting stuff to you guys. Well, I mean, that's always a good rule of thumb, just, you know, when you have like books and TV and movies where they say, don't just have a huge narration in the front where you explain the history of everything, you know, show it, don't tell it. Yeah, and, and even if you just bring something silly up, you know, like, you know, you, they camp the night in the ruins of, you know, Protagona, where all the protagonists of the previous generation were born or something, you know? Like, the fact that there's a big city that's in ruins and that these people know it enough that it's important that they can, like, note it, you know, it does say something. It does world build a little bit, so. Yeah, yeah. Alrighty, rule number six. For your first homebrew, do not get super ambitious. So, I hear you thinking again, maybe I can make the whole globe. Or maybe I can make, you know, just one kingdom. Just one. No, 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 no. Like I said, keep it small. Keep it small. Well, how about you, if you want to obsessively create this thing, sure. But for your actual D&D setting, you know, keep, keep it to a small section of the the thing that you've been, you know, obsessing over for years. True, true, true. Well, and, and again, this is assuming you're, you're coming to this home brewing for the first time. If you've got a fully fledged, you know, setting in your head, you might have done a lot of this work already, but yes. Uh, but again, even then, keep it small. Don't get super ambitious. Don't make an entire country up. Your, your players may not go through the entire country, and there might be several areas that your players never touch that you spend a lot of time on, and that's just that's a waste. And and here's the thing: any time you spend making up stuff that may not get used, the odds get higher and higher and higher that you will burn out before you can present this to your players, and that's what you're trying to avoid. Oh, that's true. I guess I'm thinking about the people that have the like the fantasy stories they got rattling on their brain where they have so much of the stuff already figured out. But you know, that that's just a kernel of the homebrew setting. Well, tell you what, I'll throw an addendum on this. I remember reading on the internet somebody saying, like, man, I wish there was some sort of like GMless game system where I could make up a world and then I could like roll dice and play these adventures and I wouldn't have to have an entire group. And then like, uh, and then the, the guy in the Twitter thread or the Reddit thread, I don't remember where I read this, uh, comes back like a thing, couple things later. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry I bothered everyone. Somebody informed me this is just called writing a book. So that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> oh, God. But that's a good thing too. Start small. Don't get too ambitious. Don't try to write a book with your D&D players. That won't work either. That's called railroading. You, like you got to make it open and let them do things. Yeah collaborative it's better and also yes. make make sure that it's a world that they can like fully influence and do stuff in uh, because right. then it'll make it all the more part of you know their game as opposed to just your vision you're not a holodeck writer right so to go back to your thing like if this is a book that you've had rattling around in your head that you've set your game to and like you've got events in the future of your book that you know are going to happen because possibly it's already written down don't make those things happen without the players being involved like don't have characters running around that are like advancing the world like it's their game like make sure that happens and you got to think of it kind of like 
EU maybe or or something, you know, like wherever you start in your world, your timeline diverges from that point and it may not line up with the canon timeline and that's okay. Just just roll with it. Just have have your own fun. Yeah, have fun. And how about finally rule number 7? Rule number 7 is if you come back to the setting. So if you guys cuz in our last game we said that um, what you should commit to when you're running your first game is something short, like, you know, six part, seven part, whatever, some sort of arbitrary amount of game. And if you're, if you're doing that and homebrewing at the same time, first off, congratulations. Secondly, again, end the campaign, you know, don't, don't keep going, don't keep pushing. Uh, Cause there might be things your players want to do differently or you want to do differently after your first gaming session. But if you're going to come back to this world that you created, flash it forward because then your character's previous characters could have gone on to have lives of their own and you could advance the story and any changes that you need to make. Like if you're playing it and you decide that you made up some monsters that looking back on it, you don't really like, and you want to write them out of the game. I'm looking at you red caps in my own game. <laughs> you can do that if you want, you know, you, you could still tweak stuff because you know, 10 to 30 years is a long time. And, and that's what I would suggest like flashing yeah. forward. Just, yeah. Yeah. And maybe your player, like maybe you pick the class you didn't really like. And so you want to play a different class, but you really like the backstory that came up for your character. Well, then you can play a descendant. That's a different yeah. class. Yeah, exactly. Your old character could be your legacy. You know, yeah, there's a lot of things you can go with, but yeah, that's, that's the point. Like every time you come back to your setting, make sure you flash forward a, a a little bit of time, at least 10 years, I would say, just to kind of let things change and anything that the players do can like, you know, alter the landscape because, you know, say at the end of the adventure, the first adventures that you write, the players get a castle and, you know, at the end of it, they're like, Hey, maybe we'll just stay here because, you know, our characters are retiring effectively anyways. So, you know, you can flash forward. And if you're an evil GM, you can decide that, you know, your group became like despots and it caused a civil war because, you know, this group of, of murder hobos like started just saying like, Hey, this land is ours now. And the nobles are like, heck no, that's not how this works. Oh, that'd be evil. That would be so <laughs> evil to make your former characters, the new villains. Yeah, yeah. Are are we the baddies? <laughs> <laughs> or you could be nice and still have the same thing happen, but your your characters were good and just and were accepted by the nobility, except for those dastardly guys over there that their family needs to be fought. There you go. There's some ideas for your homebrew campaign. And this is like a crash course, but again, going back around to the front, I think if you want to homebrew, I think you know you want to do it anyway. Every GM that uh, when they come to d and they seem to have a good sense on if they want to make up their own world or not. It's really weird. And so, yes, remember, just just don't overwork yourself. Don't burn yourself out. I've done that so many times where I'm making up a world and I get way too in the weeds about it and I burn myself out. And don't do that. Just just get enough that you can play because if the group likes it and if you guys are having fun, the, the play itself will be, you know, a catalyst for you to like keep going. Like our game, because uh, I, I mentioned in our game that like this past session, like it clicked. It led to this whole like explosion in my brain where I started thinking about the future and and things I could throw at you guys and, you know, evil things and good things. And I've got an evil one coming up, I think. I'll talk about it when it happens. But that was just because everything clicked in everybody's heads and, and you know, everybody started talking and, and talking about the future of their little world. Don't burn yourself out before players can get excited. Just Just roll with it. And Gina, uh, you and I engaged in some advanced homebrew. Uh, can you quickly, quickly go over that you and I did? Definitely, uh, we played Microscope, which you talked about a lot, actually. Yeah, we, we reviewed it, actually. You, you, me, and Jonathan. 
Yeah. Um, and you told me from the get-go that you want to use the setting that we come up with as a, as a setting for a D&D campaign. And then so you had kind of the, the kernel of what you want the setting to be, uh, which was it was a fantasy setting and there's a couple of little minor rules, but that's it. And then the rest was very open. And you came up with your ideas about what you wanted, like no elves. And then I came up with uh, my own ideas because it was just stuff I was pulling out of my butt. Honestly, it was kind of stuff to throw you for a loop more than anything. But you seem to really like it. The product of that was a really textured world because it was filled with stuff that I wouldn't do myself. If it were left up to me, we wouldn't be playing in fantasy Spain. We would be probably playing in something vaguely English because I love my vaguely English campaign settings. And it was funny because that just came about mainly because um, you had me come up with the names for these places. And I wanted to kind of have a shortcut to make the names all cohesive. So I decided to just take Spanish words and then kind of fantasify it. But then you, you took that and ran with it and started researching medieval Spain. And suddenly, you know, a count and a, and a contessa. It's like... A contessa. A, it's it's yeah. a count and a contessa. Or normal, it's count and countess. But yes, yeah. in Spain, it's contessa and duquesa, which is awesome. All right. What was the other game we played? Yeah, we also played One Quiet Year, uh, which is it's a storytelling game where you are telling what's happening in a location over the course of a year. And the fun part is you, you draw a map while you are playing this game. Um, and then you draw cards to make you choose between events that happen, uh, projects that you undertake. You can role play out scenes, but you know, stuff happens throughout this year. Uh, and what we used it for was we used it to build the local town like the town that we told you to make in the homebrew. We used it to give basically what had been going on in this town a year before the the characters arrived. And it just, again, it provides texture because now you can reference things that happened throughout that quiet year. <laughs> and it worked yeah. out really good. I, I've had a few of these things come up in, in the gameplay. And it's, uh, again, it's collaborative and that kind of brings along its own wrinkles, which I think are a little too, we, we are actually over on time right now. So we do not have the ability to go into them. Ultimately, I, I had a great time doing it. What, what about you, Gina? No, I thought it was fun. And it came up with a lot of kind of a backstory that, you know, you could kind of reference to give the place color as, you know, our, during our D&D game. But that could be it. All it does is give color or it could end up being an adventure later. That's where you have the, you know, is seated with adventures because the quiet year came up with a bunch of those seeds already. Just kind of bakes it in there. So if you want to hear any more about that collaborative storytelling, how to make microscope uh, games into a campaign setting, whatnot, let us know because I, I have a feeling Jonathan will be gone again and I'm more on the role-playing side. So me and Gina always could, you know, use some topics to talk about so far. You've been on yearly Gina. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe in 2021, we can come back to this. Oh, that'd be interesting. Especially if we're still playing the game. Yeah, that'd be really cool. I agree. So yeah, if you guys want us to talk about it, tell us throughout the various you know methods to contact us. Tell Jonathan that you know you like having me on the show and you want me on the show more often, or something. And that brings us to the end of another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast, episode seventy nine. Uh, once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We would love to hear from you, and. Special guest on the podcast, our daughter Eowyn. Eowyn, do you have any final thoughts? 
you have anything funny to say? Do you have a funny joke? No, I just kind of want to say hi. Say hi, then. Hi. <laughs> hi, people. Now you're famous, too. Now you have dozens of fans. Dozens. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Gina, do you have any final thoughts? Just one. Outlander Season 5 coming in February 16th. Yay! Nice. Nice. I will be talking about watching Outlander by proxy. All right. Well, that brings us to the one last thing. Be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Robert. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 